0: Coming up on the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast, we get the latest on the AFLW Competition Committee with the Guardians' Cato Halloran. We discuss Sandringham's bid to enter the VFLW with David Canizzo. We preview the AFL London Women's League Grand Final with Mitch Scully and Jack Crammery. Plus, there's our State Leagues Wrap with Matthew Cox, Lauren Hodgson and Aaron Russell. That's all coming up over the next 90 minutes. <laughs> I'm Peter Holden, and welcome to the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast. And a friendly note: this podcast is broadcast first as a radio program Wednesday evenings, 6 p.m. on RSN Carnival. That's digital radio in Melbourne on the RSN Racing and Sport app, and via RSN.net.au. A reminder that we're bringing you two Swiss Wellness VFL Women's matches this weekend. On Saturday from 11 a.m., it's the battle of first versus second. Collingwood versus the NT Thunder at Victoria Park. Again, live on air Saturday from 11 a.m. Then Sunday from 1 p.m., we present Hawthorne versus the Western Bulldogs at Box Hill City Oval. It's third versus sixth. You'll hear both of those games on RSN Carnival Digital Radio in Melbourne, the RSN Racing and Sport app, and rsn.net.au. To our first guest for this week, who has had her finger on the pulse about the possibility of the AFLW home and away season being shortened to just six rounds for each side. She's been getting all the feedback from the players, and believe me, they are not happy about it. She's also spoken to the likes of Susan Alberti. She's digging for more information. She was at AFL House on Tuesday night to see if she could get any answers out of the head of the AFLW in Nicole Livingston. It's our privilege to have on the line the sports editor and journalist from The Guardian in Kate O'Halloran. Kate, how are you?
1: I'm not bad, thank you. How are you?
0: Good to hear that you've got at least a smile in your voice because <laughs> let's let's be honest, it's been almost a nightmare weekend for women's footy, and we go right yeah. back to Thursday where it all began with two pieces. The, the first piece that, um, mm-hmm. that got everyone fired up was um, a rival publication, the Herald Sun. <laughs> um, they've had yeah. their usual footy survey they do all the time, and yeah. th- the numbers come out and said 40% of their current readers are interested in AFLW, which on the face-face, you'd say, well, that's not bad. To, you know, They're traditional mm. probably more conservative football followers, but 40% is a good chunk. Instead, hmm. the Herald Sun seemed to spin it negatively.
1: Yeah, yeah, I was really surprised by that. Oh, maybe not surprised is the right word because it is the Herald Sun after all. But I was disappointed. I mean, you'd think, as you say, it's quite a you know sort of conservative, more traditional sample. So the fact that we even had almost a fifty-fifty you know split of readers willing to admit that that you know they're into the AFLW, I think that's not bad after a couple of seasons, especially given that you know it is a league that perhaps attract, um, attracts more non-traditional fans than anything. So, you know, I, yeah, the spin on that was, was quite disappointing.
0: Through those publications and super footy, etc the news broke Thursday night, which then started to really pick up as a firestorm by Friday, that uh, mm. the AFL was considering uh, shortening the season to be six home and away games per side with uh, a 2 weeks finals period to try and keep it within the eight-week window, Uh, there were rumours of that going back to May and June. Uh, Carlton coach Mm -hmm. Daniel Harford had even mentioned during an interview with us that he thought it was going to be something like as short as even five. Um, Wow. And after Daisy Pierce's comments about a gimmicky tournament on Friday, boy, did the AFL community fire up. (laughs)
1: yeah they did I mean but in a good way I mean you know the AFLW community in particular I think the way I described it in my article today was they found voice I mean the players in particular who have probably been fairly quiet um on some of the you know more controversial decisions made by the AFLW around their handling of the women's game they really one by one came out and weren't afraid to say what they thought and you know that started with Pierce but then we had Mo Hope you know saying is it all worth it you know I you know I could earn more on Centrelink, but you know this is I want the privilege of playing for the club I love with the the girls I call family. and, and these are sacrifices I've been willing to make up until this point. but you know shortening the season to keep it in in this arbitrary window that they keep talking about um, seems very insulting. and you know, I'm just so glad that uh, it was such a united response, such a loud response really from the community, and I hope that's shown the AFL something.
0: Are you surprised by that? Because when there's something, I guess, a similar controversy level on the men's side of the game, we usually see, uh, just as an example, something like a Patrick Dangerfield and maybe a Gary Ablett Jr., a couple of, maybe half a dozen big names come out mm-hmm. and voice it while everyone else is not quite mute, but letting the others do the talking for them. Mm-hmm. On the women's side, it seems to be just about nearly every single player possible has mm-hmm. come out via their social media channels to say, we're not cool with this.
1: Yeah, I suppose I was a little surprised just because it is a bit different to how uh, things have been up till this point. But, uh, you know, and I don't think it was an organised response. I think it was just sort of almost the last straw for so many of them. And, you know, I spoke to some of them privately and without revealing who they are, you know, they – they said, we're all united on this. We just, you know, we've made a lot of other sacrifices, pay being the obvious one, uh, you know, taking unpaid leave, working full time, being bullied, uh, you know, any number of things they've had to endure. But, you know, those, those are sacrifices they've said they've been willing to make up until this point with a certain level of trust and faith and because of the game that they love. And now that that very thing is under threat, you um, you know, I think the players just thought, no, that that's this is a, a line in the sand. This is we're not okay with this.
0: You mentioned the word organised, and uh, I ponder for a moment that again, it's the players coming out to speak in unison rather than the actual AFLPA. Um, Mm. I guess this even goes back to, for example, when Katie Brennan uh, had to face the Mm. tribunal was unhappy with the result because she didn't have the option of paying a fine for rough conduct, had to be suspended, and then obviously was going to take that through the uh, respective court system for it to be turned over. That initial um, penalty system was agreed upon by the AFLPA with the (laughs) AFL. So is there a case of the AFLPA... I wouldn't say is not working in the women's best interests, but mm-hmm. is not getting the desired results for them.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think so. I mean, it it doesn't have to be in a sinister sense. It's not like anybody is saying that they're out not to represent women mm. on purpose. But I think, you know, they need – it just makes so much sense for women to have their own players' association, to have their own union that, you know – we keep hearing from Nicole Livingston, from Gil McLaughlin, that it's a different game, that they're going to have different rules, that you know, and it, it already does have different rules. It's, it's, um, there's so much about the women's game that's not um, on par with the men's game, certainly in terms of resources and and equity at the moment. So you know, they need uh, a strong advocating body, and they need to be united. You know, it shouldn't be left to individuals like Katie Brennan to have to pursue things through the Human Rights Commission to try and get you know, equity in terms of tribunal outcomes. I mean, it, it's just a no-brainer for me that, that, that they need their own union.
0: Has there been any talk from the players that you've chatted to over the weekend if they're willing mm. to do anything? Should the league come out and say, no, nope, we're going short in seasons or conferences, mm-hmm. which they're talking about? Uh, I haven't heard conferences about 2019, but it's certainly been uh, a strong current uh, suggesting that conferences will come in for 2020 when there's 14 teams.
1: Yeah, yeah, conferences came up at the uh, press conference again today and that was the impression I got too, was that it was more likely 2020 than 2019. I mean, that's, again, something, I mean, I've been personally furious about the idea of conferences and the players certainly don't like the idea as far as I know. Um, Yeah, I think the players, I think, as I said, I think this has been a bit of a line in the sand and I think, you know, the word that kind of got thrown around in our conversations was radical action, you know, is, is... is it necessary? Do they have to do something more radical? You know, it might it might be something as small as, you know, a social media campaign or something like that to begin with. But, you know, beyond that, do they protest? Do they strike? You know, I think all options have to be on the table because I mean, even I proposed in my article this morning, which was again more radical, you know, do they need to sort of say no to the AFL and say, you know, if if this is the way things are going to keep going, we're not willing to accept the conditions that you've offered. So yeah, you know, I think um, I think they're considering all of those things. I don't think they want uh, necessarily to do any of those things, but I think that yeah, they are being seriously considered if this goes ahead.
0: Now, this is in the extremely unlikely scenario, but let, let's mm-hmm. play down that line. Let's say they went on strike; they were unhappy with the AFLW. Let's say they wanted <laughs> to split away and form the Rebel League. Again, this is extremely unlikely. Yeah, But yeah. But but if it did happen. Does Susan Alberti in the way play a role of a Kerry Pack, a World mm-hmm. Series cricket, a Rupert Murdoch with uh, the Super um, a Rugby League competition? Um, not obviously <laughs> she wouldn't be able to fund at all, but obviously through her connections in business, would there be the corporate dollars out there to be able to fund a venture like that, which the players might have to take a pay cut for anything like that to be feasible?
1: Yeah. I mean, look, you know, yes, certainly, um, you know, I can't, speak for Susan Alberti and I certainly don't think it would have, you know, it would rely on one person or, you know, one benefactor or anything like that. But, you know, the example I used in my article today was uh, the WTA, so women's tennis, you know, Billie Jean King and the original nine, you know, they signed $1 contracts in the beginning because men were being paid 12 times more than them um, and they were, you know, women were being banned from participating in the same tournament. So it just got to a point where they went, you know what, Um, we are taking a leap of faith with our own product. And even if it means a pay card, even if it means, you know, having to generate all our own resources in the beginning, we can do this. And, you know, quite clearly the WTA is is a perfect example of the fact that it can work, that, you know, um, now, now we talk about tennis as one of the most gender equitable of all sports in the world. And, you know, again, it is quite... An extreme example I'm not saying that's what they have to do I'm not saying we're anywhere near that I'm just saying I think it has to be considered you know as as one of many options uh, on the table and then yeah then you would look at where do you get that money from and I think people like Susan Alberti would be more than willing to come on board if you know they they believed in the growth and and the potential of the product which they clearly do.
0: Let's focus on the Tuesday night uh, press conference with Nicole Livingston. Before I get into the nitty-gritty of it, I'm first of all interested to know how many journalists were actually there to ask questions Mm. of Nicole Livingston about what happened with the AFLW competition committee?
1: Uh, I would say there would have been a handful, maybe around five or six.
0: So so a rather small contingent. Do Mm. Do you find it rather ironic that they were talking about that the AFLW competition needs clear air away from the afl men's competition and they hold it the same night where possibly one of the biggest tribunal sittings in years is being held at the same time
1: well it's funny you brought that up because i was actually just about to say that um the reason there were so few people there was because the tribunal case had already begun uh with andrew gaff so you know it does seem completely bizarre uh it was held at 4.30, which is, you know, as you know, the end of the day for most journalists, uh, you know, if they're not already knocking off, they're going to the tribunal case. So, yeah, it was a very, very strange decision on their behalf. Uh, But, you know, sort of unsurprising at this point, I suppose.
0: So the press conference was there. What was the uh, mood coming out of it? Because uh, as we've seen published online, uh, first through the AFL website, unsurprisingly, mm-hmm. um, the trial rules are out there. They're going to tinker with the game again. But first of all, they're doing it through the VFLW I'm Correct and the Under-18 All-Stars game.
1: Yeah, that's right. So I suppose that was sort of one of the surprising elements was that most people expected Nicole Livingston to kick off the press conference with discussion around the makeup of next season's fixture. But the first agenda item was actually rule changes and further rule trials. Uh, so, you know, as we know, there's already trials uh, taking place around uh, center stoppage uh, setups in particular, but uh, a number of other new rule changes were floated. Um, including you know shorter kicks, so 10-metre kicks um, being awarded as marks, um, bigger goal square kick-ins, having the boundary umpires come in 10 metres for throw-ins and so on. So, yeah, that, that was quite a surprise to me anyway uh, that they're planning on trialling those as well now through uh, VFLW and the under-18s.
0: Have they actually addressed the issue if it's going to be a a 16-a-side VFLW game for these trial rules? I believe they picked out the Essendon versus Williamstown game uh, next weekend Mm. between the bottom two sides. Because we need to clarify for people, VFLW still play 18-a-side, but the AFLW (laughs) play 16-a-side. Yeah, Yeah,
1: that's a very good point. Uh, I do not believe that, well look you'd, you'd have to think that they've considered that but it certainly didn't come up in conversation so you know i'm not sure why there's a belief that a trial with an 18 a side game uh, somehow translates to the 16 a side AFLW competition i mean you know that you just can't compare the two so but you know as far as i know it's taking place with 18 a side the trial
0: so we're going to trial rules in an eighteen aside game for a competition that plays sixteen aside. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not quite sure you get a good you get a good sample there.
1: No, but then again, you know, well, the sixteen aside came out of nowhere in the beginning too. So you know, where you know that wasn't ruled well, trialed, was it?
0: Oh, dear. And we should also point out that the VFLW have a zoning rule where you need to keep five in your back half. So will they keep that rule during this particular trial or scrap this particular rule during that trial? So (laughs) just to add further complexity. (laughs)
1: Yes, we're all confused. We're all confused. We don't even know when the season's starting or any of the other list rules or, you know, a lot of the logistical information we really require. So it's a bit of a guessing game at the moment. Yes, that's a
0: a very interesting point because we are essentially two months away from what should be the draft. So we can confirm Mm. at this stage we don't know the draft date or the rookie draft date or when nominations open for said draft. Do we have any further idea on the competition itself?
1: (laughs) No. No. So, um, you know, one of the quite clear messages that came out of the press conference was no decisions have been made. I think that was the line I heard about 100 times. No decisions have been made, meaning we don't know how many weeks this competition is going to run for. We don't know when it's going to start. We don't know when it's going to end. We hope, according to Nicole, to have a decision by October or sometime during October, which, you know, was lauded as an improvement on last year's deadline of November, (laughs) so we'll still be waiting a while because, I mean, the next AFLW committee meeting is not even until September, so, uh, yeah, it's a bit of a strange one. Again, we don't know a lot of the information that is really critical.
0: This seems to be rather bizarre, and particularly we should point out last year, a number of the players were angry that they had to wait till November to find out what the uh, fixture was because they said they wanted friends and family to obviously be able to book flights to be able to come Mm. and watch them play. Um, Has anyone, I guess, hammered the AFL in the questioning about why it's taken so long? Because if I recall correctly, I think it was... Around this time, maybe even a bit earlier, uh, this time mm. last year, that the four, that the announcement was made that there'll be two sides in 2019 and another four sides mm. in 2020. They've had 12 months. They've had 12 months, and they've actually come up with nothing.
1: Yeah, um, look, I think they could have gone harder in terms of the journalists who were there. I did ask them a few logistical questions, like uh, you know, have they? What's happening with the broadcast rights next year? You know, I've been hearing for a long time that. They're going to be sold for next season and yet now uh, the response was oh well you know no we don't know you know we're still in conversation you know that we, we need to first meet with the committee we need to first decide on the makeup of the fixture we can't sell anything to them until we know that and it's like well you know they keep talking about oh we don't have money for this oh it's not profitable but you know they haven't even tried to sell the broadcast rights because they haven't decided on the makeup of the season but as you say they've had you know this much notice about how many teams they're going to have i don't know how hard it is to figure out i mean yeah this stuff is basic and simple i understand it's a new competition but it requires even more care and, and foresight and planning in that case and we just haven't seen that so far
0: in my way of thinking, I thought the logic would have been that you draw up a proposed fixture of what 10 teams would look like. And once you've done that, <laughs> then you invite licences uh, for those <laughs> remaining positions. But that's just me. And that's just logic. Um, as you said, with the broadcast rights, the, the the vibe out there seems to be at the moment, it's a, just a rubber stamp status quo seven and Fox Footy again mm-hmm. to do it with Maguire Media to do the production side of things. Has there been yep. any whisper at all of any of the other networks having a, a passing interest in it? A lot of people have been looking towards Channel 10, who, of course, broadcasted AFL for mm. a decade through the early mm. 2000s. And at the moment, they have no sport because they lost the Big Bash League at mm. WBBL.
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, that that match makes a lot of sense uh, to me as well. But, you know, I, I'm not sure that I can reveal where I heard this, but I think that as I understand AFLW seemed to be almost part of a package deal uh, that the AFL offered up to broadcasters in the sense that, you know, it was almost like a, you know, an add on like, all right, well, you know, this is, this is the deal that we've made for the men's competition. And and as part of that, you know, you can effectively have the AFLW. So uh, look, I can't verify that, but I would have thought that one of the key priorities would have been to, yeah, um, find a deal for it that's that enables them to market, that, you know, enables them to, to raise revenue um, and that that could go back into the women's game. But, you know, that just hasn't seemed to be a priority for the AFL, which really has me scratching my head about that one.
0: And I believe that is also the case with radio. I believe it's also been offered as an add-on from what I've heard from a few Mm. people that I know around the traps. Uh, For yourself, Kate, with The Guardian, what can people look forward to over the coming weeks in your coverage of the AFL women's competition?
1: Good question. I mean, I'd like to, you know, keep some of the pressure on. I'd like to keep um, the analysis happening. I mean, I've just uh, put something up which is just purely a news piece, but, uh, you know, includes some of the the uh, comments that Nicole Livingston made today. And I think one of the really interesting things for me is that, you know, there was this talk about needing clean air was the phrase she used uh, in the summer sporting landscape. And the fact that the AFL are really not interested in putting AFLW in their eyes up against the men's competition. And I think uh, you know, Nicole spoke about, oh, we can't compete with men's football. You know, it's so popular. You know, all the players are well known. We can't. You know, we need to be different. And and I think that's a real fallacy to start pitting women's football against men's football, as if somehow by supporting, by growing, you know, by nourishing the women's game, we're somehow taking something away from the men's game. I think that is, you know, just not the way we need to be looking at this is really unhelpful and it's not actually true. So I think, you know, I want to keep the pressure up from that point of view that running the women's season into the men's season does not need to be seen as a threat, does not need to be seen as taking something away from uh, the men's competition. So, yeah, hopefully I'll get a chance to do something around that.
0: Kata Halloran, thank you very much for joining us on Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival.
1: No worries. Thanks for having me. Turning our attention to the
0: VFL Women's Competition, we've got 13 sides in 2018, maybe 14 in 2019, with the Sandringham Zebras exploring the possibility of entering a women's side. To talk all about it, I've got on the line their CEO in David Canizzo. David, how are you?
2: Hi, Peter. Yeah, well, thank you. Very well. It's... uh. It's a great time of year. It's uh, August. We're about to uh, approach finals, although Sandringham won't probably feature this year. Um, but we, uh, we, you know, we've finished our home games for 2018 and we start planning for 2019.
0: And indeed, there's a lot to plan for 2019. But before we get to that, let's just step back a moment. For the Sandringham Football Club, you've had a, a long and rich history, haven't you, in the VFA, which of course is now the VFL?
2: Yeah, correct. Uh, the club's actually been established since 1929. So, it'll be its 90th year next year in 2019, which is obviously no small achievement. Um, and it actually came together as an amalgamation of a couple of local clubs back in back in 1929. Um, a mixture of Black Rock um, and Hampton, I believe, as it was. And then there was a mix of colours. And yeah, ever since then, the... Uh, the the black and yellow and then the, the touch of blue and, and then obviously the, the famous mascot of a zebra has existed since back since 1929.
0: And we note, of course, the recent history of the Sandringham Football Club. Originally, you had an alignment with Melbourne that, of course, then moved to more recently an alignment with uh, the St Kilda Football Club. Uh, I think it was four flags through the uh, early 2000s. So a lot of success in the men's side And now you're making the early steps towards a women's program.
2: Yeah, spot on. Yeah, look, that's right. And look, it's been a lot more trickier, I guess, with St Kilda from a performance point of view. I think um, the main reasons for that, it's just been reflective of where probably the St Kilda list has been at um, over the last kind of seven or eight years in comparison to where the Melbourne list was at probably in the mid-2000s. Um, that that has a massive impact. If two or two thirds or three quarters of your um, your VFL teams made up of AFL listed players, you know it's going to depend on that. But but yeah, that's that's uh, just a continued evolution, and hopefully we are going to step forward again in 2019. But the other exciting piece is, is the VFLW. Um, our club are really really focused on wanting to um, be a pathway for AFL and AFLW. Um, it's something that uh, has support of St Kilda, even though they have their Southern Saints VFLW side at the moment. The reality is that team is, um, there's a plan for that to be pathwayed um, or aligned closer to Frankston Dolphins in the coming season or two, um, which means that uh, there is an absolute need for a footprint in the Bayside and the surrounding um, council areas in the Southern region. So uh, we've commenced planning. We've had three working party meetings. We established this working party back earlier this year. Um, we've got good representation from lots of different, um, stakeholders, um, you know, from, you know, AFL Victoria representation to, 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 to previous VFLW representation in Lisa Caddo from the Secilda Sharks to, to Council to our board and, and we're fully focused on it. Um, we had a female football forum only, um, a week or so ago, a couple of weeks ago now, and we had, um, over, uh, 75 people attend that night. Um, which is really pleasing. There's a mixture of internal people to the club and also external people, prospective coaches, players, um, support staff, et cetera. And it was, um, it was a really pleasing night where we had presentations from the club, from the council, from St Kilda, from AFL Victoria, um, and through all of that, making very clear, um, what we, what we hope is very clear is a, is a female football pathway in the region.
0: Now, we know there had been some uh, relationships in the past with the old VWFL and some of the uh, uh, former VFA clubs. We know, for example, that uh, a number of the grand finals were held across the homes of the former Box Hill Mustangs, now Box Hill Hawks, and a number of grand finals recently held at the home of the Coburg Lions, Coburg City Oval. Uh, Port Melbourne have started their journey by entering a a women's side in the Southeastern Women's Football League this year. So how did the original seed or idea come about that Sandringham should get involved?
2: Uh, yeah, look, a lot of um, I started Peter earlier this year. I started in January this year. I've, a bit of my background is I was I was previously the CEO of the Southern Football Netball League and was obviously involved in the establishment of their women's competition last year, um, and also part of that Southeastern Women's Football Competition you just referred to the alignment of uh, three leagues: Southern um, AFL, Southeast, and Eastern Football League. But even prior to that, I established, um, back in my time at the South Metro Junior Football League, I actually established, um, along with the support of um, some really enthusiastic clubs at the time, Victoria's first ever under-12 girls competition. So that had never existed in junior girls football, never existed in Victoria up until 2011. And we established Victoria's first. So um, part of my motivation of taking on this position at Sandringham was to, to continue the par- player pathway. I've, I've seen it grow at junior girls. I've seen that transition to to all age, nearly all age groups and youth girls. Um, I then established women's football at the Southern League, and now get the opportunity to hopefully establish a state league women's comp- uh, women's team to participate in the v- VFLW. Um, the reality is, it's is vitally important that our club um, is reflective. Of um, its its actual community, and that is uh, men and women playing football, but also men and women participating on our board, our administration, our support staff, um, and as as fans. So um, we we're not just uh, preaching that we we're living and breathing it uh, every day, um, and it, that that inclusion and that diversity extends to not just um, uh, gender, but it also extends to um, you know LGBTI. Uh, communities like we, like we had this year with our Pride round, um, and, um, uh, you know, and, and, even a couple of weeks before that, our, um, the, uh, Sir Doug Nichols Indigenous round where we actually had a, um, a full welcome to country and smoking ceremony and, um, and the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander flags painted on our oval for our broadcast game. So, um, it's a commitment across our entire community, I think, but particularly focused by our club to be, um, inclusive and welcoming of all, of all and, um, and, that will take us forward, um, not just now, but into the future.
0: You mentioned uh, the name Lisa Cutto, a legend throughout the VWFL and all the media work that she does. And, of course, a proud and passionate St Kilda Shark. Uh, the Sharks were unlucky not to be in the VFLW this year. What's the thought with the time between the Sharks and the zebra, Zebras? Are you looking at that as, as such as a feeder program?
2: Um, yeah, look, all, all things to be considered. Lisa and I have had some preliminary discussions about how we can work a little bit closer together. Um, absolutely don't want to put words in anyone's mouth at this stage, but but the, but the reality is Lisa's involvement on the working party is twofold. One is absolutely she has critical knowledge about um, this better than anyone. She's been involved with it for as long as anyone that I know. Um, but the other part is to... To um to also see how we can align to a very strong um, women's football club in this region, and and potentially have it as a feeder or have it as a as even a, as, a, as, a, as a as a sister club, for lack of a better word, where we actually have the need, where not every player going to get a game all the time, can a number of players kind of go back to. To local level and can we, can we help them still and develop them in a VFL program, but then they go back to, to local level football and be better footballers and people. So all of that we've still got to work through. We've deliberately taken the approach where we want it to be, um, not exclusive as such, but we still think it's important to have some strategic alignments with local clubs that, um, will ensure that, um, you know, it works. For the best interests of both parties, you know, where we add value back, but they're also um, they're also strengthening the, the the state league program at Sandringham as well.
0: A lot of stakeholders, I guess, will be interested in the area as we've touched on the St Kilda Sharks. But obviously in your backyard, you've had the AFL Southeast competition, the women's with it through the Southern Football Netball League. The VAFA has a very strong presence in your backyard. Uh, When you look at junior level, I think of the old Moorabbin Saints Junior Football League. And, of course, you actually share Trevor Barker Beach Oval with the Sandringham Dragons.
2: Spot on. And and that's that's our... uh, without kind of delving too much into our application or our draft application, that is the basis of our submission, that there is a significant um, uh, footprint of female football already existing in this region, but it is growing at an at a, at alarming rate, really. an alarming rate, I say that with regards to the concern around where is everyone going to play. So um, we we know that the demand is there. We know that the talent is going to continue to strengthen year on year um, and that it'll completely be viable. Our biggest challenge right now, if I'm really honest about it, is the, the reality of the financial aspect to running a state league, um, state league team and, um, and wanting to ensure that we do it, um, really well and not cut corners. And the, the reality is we need to, um, we need to generate some, some, uh, some new revenue very quickly so that we can fund this properly and, um, do it justice and not be cutting corners and, um, and uh having it as a as a as a second you know, a second child to a to an existing bench programme, that isn't right. So we want to make sure that we uh we do it properly. We have a, a strategy around how we if there's going to be an introduction of a salary cap in um in future years, that we have a strategy to um to work towards paying um paying towards that, if not uh, to its capacity. But yeah, we need to make sure we kind of phase those things in
0: As you said, you held a footy forum just a couple of weeks ago to see interested parties that want to help with the Sandringham Zebras. What was the feedback coming out of of that meeting about, A, uh, the possible volunteer force that you'll have behind you, and I guess on another side, some tasks that were raised that you've got to try and tick off before you eventually get that signed in the VFLW?
2: Um, Yeah, look, a lot of it was around first explaining the pathway um, and understanding that this is absolutely a logical pathway for, for for not just next year but going forward. St Kilda obviously had a big role to play in that. Uh, Peter Searle, um, the coach of the Southern Saints, explained um, how it exists at the moment and where that will go in the moment and uh, where it will go in the future, and particularly around what I was mentioning before about Southern Saints moving closer down to Frankston Dolphins um, in the future. Um the the other part was um support staff we did touch on and and our our milestone calendar over the next 6 or 8 months is to advertise and um uh, recruit a uh, senior coach and then following that a strength and conditioning coach and then from that all the assistant coaches that fall under that um trainers physio support staff we think we've already got a really good workforce there that will be able to step up and pick up the extra um the extra nights and the extra program um when it comes to other general support staff, I think that will that will fall that will come out of you know the people that we that we end up signing, their families, their friends, um, etc. Uh, but, the, but the the real challenge is going to be there's a significant license fee with obviously the state body. There is um, associated costs with regards to coaches, medical medical support staff, medical supplies, um, and just general operations. Um, that we need to generate that. So our challenge right now is to try to. We're talking to a number of sponsors, prospective sponsors. Um, we're applying for lots of grants, um, but um, our, our, our real kind of a uh, real kind of focus is around the revenue side of things, um, so that we don't have to kind of cut corners, as I mentioned before. So any support that anyone can provide to our club is going to be appreciated because it's going to allow us to run a really a really kind of legitimate and really professional program.
0: And on that point, before we let you go, David, if there are people that obviously know sponsors that might be interested in supporting a women's football team in Sandringham or, of course, uh, are looking to volunteer in any capacity to try and help get the Sandringham Zebras women's team up and off the ground, uh, where can they go to?
3: Uh, So I
2: encourage everyone to just visit our website, sandringhamfc.com.au. There's the ability for anyone to get in touch with us through that. Um, there's also the ability to just um, read up a little bit more about what happened at the forum, um, have a look at the presentation that was delivered from all the parties. Uh, that's all available
4: through our latest news section,
2: um, and of course, our contact us is so how people can find out more and get in contact with us if they're uh, if they're interested in being involved in any capacity. We welcome we welcome those inquiries.
0: Well, David, thanks very much for joining us here on Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival Digital Radio. And uh, we wish you all the very best over the summer months and hopefully we'll see you sooner rather than later the Sandringham Zebras participating in the VFL women's competition.
2: Thanks, Pete. I appreciate the time.
0: Time to turn our attention to England and in particular the AFL London Women's League, where the Conference Division Grand Final was played over the weekend and the Women's Premier Division Preliminary Final was played. And joining us on the line is the coach of the Wandsworth Demons and England Vixens in Mitch Scully. Mitch, how are you?
3: Yeah, going well, thanks, Pete. One more week of footy, so we uh, very excited for that.
0: Well, let's start first of all by looking back at the AFL London League Women's League Premiership Preliminary Final. It was between your Wandsworth Demons and the West London Wildcats, and the D's wanted it bad. 5-3-33, and you wouldn't let the West London Wildcats score. That was it.
3: Yeah, so following our first defeat of the year, uh, the week before, the girls were really fired up to make the most of this chance, and uh, came out all guns blazing. So it was a really, really good warm-up, really good start to the game. Unfortunately though, within the first minute of the game, uh, one of our girls went down with a, it was a potential neck injury. So, um, obviously the precautions were taken and we actually, the game was delayed by about an hour before we could recommence it. Um, obviously those situations are pretty difficult. So when we did finally get restarted, we actually played with 12 minute quarters. Uh, so it was a bit of a, it was a funny old start to the game. Um, and I think both teams sort of struggled to readjust a little bit after that one. Um, but then once, once things did get going again, it was really one-way traffic um, in the windy conditions out there at Hackney Marshes. Louise Derby for us, uh, had a really good game up forward, kicking two goals. Caitlin Jeffress was best on ground in the midfield. Um, and, yeah, we, we were really happy with the response following our first loss uh, against the Lions in the semi-finals. So, you know, it gives us a chance now to play them again uh, this weekend. Obviously, for West London, their season, that comes to an end for them. Uh, but I think they'll be really happy with their year. So last year they played in the women's conference division and they won that quite well. Uh, this year they've stepped up to the premiership division, managed to finish in third place. So they should be really happy and hopefully um, they can build on that next year. But yeah, really happy with the result from a Demons perspective.
0: So we'll preview the grand final in just a moment for the Premiership Division, but a grand final was played over the weekend for the Conference Division. It was between the Wandsworth Demons Reserves and the London Swans. It was a one-point thriller. The Demons 1-3-9, defeating the Swans one-two-eight.
3: Yeah, as we've uh, come to expect from these two sides, it was another edge-of-your-seat cliffhanger. Um, obviously very low scoring, um, but it was tricky conditions with the wind. But despite the score, I think everyone who watched that game was just gripped by what was happening. Um, you know, it was a really absorbing game to watch. And both both sides left, left absolutely everything out on the field. They were both exhausted by the end of the game. Um, for for the game itself, the Demons started off kicking with the breeze uh, and, and were able to capitalize on that. So Doris Berkich, one of our girls that's been around for a few years now, she slotted absolute ripper from about 30 out on the boundary. From that point on, for about three quarters, we didn't see another goal. It was just backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards, up the wings, through the middle. Uh, and then with about 10 minutes to go, the Swans finally got their first goal on the board. And obviously, with so much to play for, everyone just stepped up a notch with a couple of points in it. Uh, the ball was stuck down in the Swans, attacking 50. Obviously, they all coming home with the wind. Our coach, uh, Jimmy Exelby, it was almost a Kevin Sheedy-like performance on the grand final day. He timed it to perfection, put numbers behind the ball, had the girls pumped up just to defend for their lives. And they did that. They managed to hold on um, for a one-point win. So, you know, after after last season, uh, our conference side getting absolutely smashed in the grand final by West London, for those girls to be able to come back this year and go one step further and win a grand final was awesome. And uh, congrats to Timmy Chatterjee, who was best on field, um, playing as a midfielder on the weekend.
0: So the Wandsworth Demons, Conference Division Premiers. Can they get the double as we look to this weekend? I believe it's at Clapham Common, 2pm Saturday. You take on the North London Lions. We'll have a representative in a moment's time from the North London Lions to give their point of view. I want you to put on your Wandsworth Demons hats. What do you need to do to win this grand final?
3: Uh, kick more goals than them, Pete. <laughs> that's the simple answer, but obviously that's there's a lot more to it than that. So I think... Uh, last, last time around, we got jumped at the start. I think we probably came out a little bit flat, but then put a few goals on early, and then we were just chasing towel for the rest of the day. So, I think our focus will be starting well, um, like, like it is every week, but maybe just putting a bit more attention on that this time, you know. And if we can get on top early and play our game of footy, you know, we know we can beat the Lions. Um, we've played them three times, and we won two sort of close encounters. They, they obviously had a good win last time we played them. So I think both teams are very good football teams capable of winning. Um, so we've just got to be 100% switched on and ready for a battle.
0: It is going to be one fierce battle because, as we know, uh, the North London Lions uh, last year um, were red-hot favourites coming to the finals. But, of course, a number of their players went and played uh, at IC17. So I guess for them, some desperate, unfinished business that you're going to have to face.
3: Yeah, well, I'm not sure about them being favourites last year because I think we finished clearly as minor premiers the last two years. Um, But definitely last year they were missing a few of their key players before the finals. Um, But this year it's definitely you know you know obviously everyone has a couple of players out with injury and whatnot. But both sides will be going into the game pretty much full strength, pretty confident what they're capable of. So yeah, I think. I think this year will be a really tight grand final. Um, both teams are going to be scrapping it out until that final siren blows. Uh, really looking forward to it. Obviously, as you do before a final, a bit nervous as well, but I think if you weren't nervous, you'd be silly.
0: And uh, for that big day down at Clapham Common, of course, there's four grand finals on with the uh, three others being uh, uh, the men's divisions. Uh, four... Demon sides there, the Wildcats have two sides with their Shepherd Bush Raiders in there, and the London uh, North London Lions have two sides, their women's and their men's social. So three clubs represented. How big a day is it going to be down there at Clapham Common? What kind of crowd are you expecting?
3: Oh, it's going to be huge. Uh, last year, we had quite a, quite a good number of people turn up for the day, but we had really bad weather. We're hoping this year it's going to be nice. At the moment, I think it's forecast for 23 and sunny. Um, there'll be a bar, fully stocked bar. Uh, I think they've, they're opening a PIMS bar this year, so people can indulge themselves in that way. There'll be a couple of food trucks down there, and you know, activities for the kids on the sidelines as well. So, it's more than just a couple of games of footy. Uh, it, it's a really big day. People get right around it. Um, you know, especially the boys that play in the social game, which kicks off early, because they'll be on the biz as soon as their game ends, so it'll be real rowdy as well. Um, but, yeah, they're great days AFL London Grand Finals because it's almost like a big carnival of footy. You know, it's the games are hotly contested, but at the same time, um, there's a good atmosphere because you know, most people are, there's a lot of Aussies travelling in Europe. And everyone's here for a good time. So when your game's done, you crack a beer and enjoy yourselves, and you know, hopefully you've got a premiership medal on at the end.
0: Well, Mitch, thanks very much for joining us here on RSN Carnival, digital radio and Women's Australian Rules Football. And uh, we look forward to speaking to you next weekend, perhaps the victorious coach of the Wandsworth Demons. Who knows what will happen in a few days' time.
3: Thanks very much. Yeah, we hope we can get a win but we know we're up against a great team in the Lions, so I'm sure we'll be a good game of footy.
0: So we just heard from Mitch Skelly then at the end, wearing his Wandsworth Demons coach's hat. Let's get the North London point of view, and joining us on the line is the coach of the Lions and Jack Crammery. Jack, how are you?
4: Yeah, good, thanks. Yeah, good all the way from London. Yeah, it's going going quite well. Exciting week ahead.
0: A big week for the North London Lions, but I, I want to step back about 12 months and I guess how the group was feeling, because you went into the 2017 finals feeling fairly confident, but unfortunately you obviously lost a number of players who had commitments with the GB Swans to um, to the IC17 tournament. How was the feeling of obviously losing those players and then bowing out in straight sets of, of last year's finals? Yeah, uh, well,
4: I, I wasn't the coach last year, but I, I was I was at the club last year playing in the, in the men's side and, um, and they did have a, a pretty tough run in the final. They, um, I was speaking to, um, our, uh, our physio during the week and in the, in the last final they had three injuries in the first five minutes and they were, they were already short and, um, one of the girls had a, a really serious, uh, neck injury. Um, so that stopped the game for 20 minutes to half an hour and it was just a, it just all kind of added up and then it just didn't go their way. So, um, from that point, it's, uh, it's, it's definitely been a, a new bunch of girls as, as, as commonly happens in, in London footy. And so, um, it's kind of, you know, it's in the memories of some of the girls, but, um, but a lot of them weren't here for it. So it's, uh, it's a little bit of a different, different side going into, into this year's final series.
0: And how would you rate your form during the year? Looking at it on paper, it seemed a little bit patchy, and I guess uh, waiting upon the availability of the Nottingham girls that come down to play with the Lions.
1: Yeah, that's that's
4: one of the key factors. Like we being that we we've, we've kind of only got uh, the the advantage of, of having one side. We, you know, um, someone like the Demons and the Wildcats, they do have the two sides. They kind of do get the opportunity to run out with their best side available every every week um, whereas at the lines we've only got the one side and and there'd be some weeks where we'd have 38 players available and 35 available but you can only pick 24 so um, we, we'd have to really uh, rotate that through the season and we, we made that clear that we we're going to give all the girls an opportunity and and then when it uh, when it come to the end of the year we we're gonna we we're going to do a, a, a fair system where um, we'd pick, you know, a, a combination of the, the best 24 and the people who trained and, um, and those kind of things. Whereas the Nottingham, Nottingham girls, they, they, they obviously can't get to training, but they, they do their own thing um, every week up, up in Nottingham.
0: Were you surprised in the finals uh, in the first week how easily you handled the Wandsworth Demons, considering that the Demons had been the form side all year?
4: Yeah, and, and they've, they've really been the form side for two years. They, uh, I think was probably the, the first time we'd beat them. Um, we had, we had two, two, two chances to play them throughout the year. And, uh, in the first game, we, we, we were kind of going into that game thinking, oh, we've got a pretty talented bunch here, but we didn't really know what to expect. And, um, after that game, we got, we lost by three points and we were right in it. We, we, uh, we were pretty, we were pretty confident moving forward, and we knew that we'd face those challenges with the um, availabilities and selections of, of London footy. Um, and then the second game against the Demons uh, was, was a lot, you know, a little bit different. We had to that week we wrestled a lot of players and had to kind of give opportunities to a bunch of other girls. But when it came to that first final. Um, we we were pretty we were pretty confident that we we had the, the side to to match the demons, um, but it was all all about the day, and we got the girls in a really good headspace, and um, and everything we did kind of went right on the day. So uh, yeah, no, we, we were we were confident that we had the ability to beat them, but um, it, it just depended on on how the girls put all it, it all together.
0: And considering you had the direct road to the grand final, um, how did you handle the week off?
4: Uh, well, the week off, uh, we had the three men's teams play on the weekend um, to try and make it to the grand final. Um, so a bunch of, the, you know, uh, the majority of the girls um, did come to come to those games on the weekend and we had our third to get through in the men's side and, and the ones and twos, uh, well, the twos, who got done by quite a bit, but the ones just missed out. So we were down there supporting, uh supporting the other games, and and then we watched. And uh, obviously, the the women's premier um, semi final, I suppose, was was between the the twos and the men's game. So we got to see see that, and and uh, and that was kind of our preparation, just to support the club and. Uh, and, uh, and then move on from there so we're, we're back into our first training tonight of the of the have got a couple of sessions to kind of get the girls ready
3: for the ready for the big week
0: so the Wandsworth demons are going to be looking for revenge against you on the biggest stage the grand final how do you think you're going to handle them who do you need to stop so get your hands on the cup um
4: look at, at this point we're we're we're, you know, we're confident that we've, we've got the, the side to, to match the Demons. Um, we know they've potentially had a couple of injuries um, ac- across the week in, um, and in, in our last game, but it's more about what our team can do. We're not, we're not really worried about you know, who to stop in the opposition. We're more worried about using our weapons that we've got um, and, and utilising those as best we can. Um, and, and we think if, if we can do that, we can we can get the job done on the day.
0: We know you've got a number of GB swans talent in your side, but excluding them, who else in your team needs to stand up on the big stage to uh, help get you over the line?
4: Um, well, we've got a we've got a number of girls who've um, come across from Australia, and they're in their first and second seasons, and um, you might have heard a few of the names previously, but uh, uh, you know, it all starts, it starts in the middle and, and we've got, um, Danny Trott, our rockman who just monstered, um, the demons in the last game. And so it starts with her. She's a huge presence on the field and, and then releasing, um, releasing the girls who have got a little bit of speed around that, uh, Jessica Shea, um, Tani Farrow off the back line, um, and then the, uh, and probably Sally Norman on, on the wing is, is kind of where we, try to, to move the ball as quickly as we can down the ground and, um, and and get our forwards in, in a one-on-one contest so we can try and utilize their talents
0: and finally for you as coach um, how are the nerves as you count the sleeps to grand final day
4: uh well it's it's, it's been a while since I've been involved in a, in a grand final i am a a'm from a teaching background and um, in coaching and teaching of Kind of gone hand in hand um, from when I was uh, back in Australia and, and and working, you know, with with the the forty kids um, at the high school I was working out in Victoria and um I'm really excited. You know, it's going to get me nervous on the day, but I really want the girls to to be able to enjoy this for a lot of them The hopefully the first opportunity, you know, probably the first opportunity they've had to play in a women's AFL. Grand final, um, and I'm really glad that they get that opportunity and we're kind of just going to make the day about their, uh, about their, um, kind of their path in, into this. You know, and a lot of them haven't, haven't played many, many seasons and that was because they didn't get the opportunity and, and we're, we're glad to, to kind of give them the opportunity now. So that's, that's kind of how we're looking at it.
0: Well, Jack, thank you very much for joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival, and we wish you all the very best this Saturday at Clapham Common as you take on the Wandsworth Demons for the AFL London Women's League Premier Division Premiership. Thanks very much. Time for our State League's wrap. Let's quickly check out the scores in the WAWFL League competition. The final round, Round 16, was played on the weekend where Subiaco, 11-16-82, accounted for the Perth Angels, just the two behinds. On the Sunday, Claremont, 7-8-50, defeated West Perth, 3-5-23. South Fremantle, one behind, went down to East Fremantle, 20-10-130. Well, Swan Districts, 8-4-52, defeated the Peel Thunderbirds, 4 3 27. Turning now to the finals, and it begins with the semis this Sunday, the 12th of August, both games at 2 p.m. Swan Districts host Subiaco in the first semi final, while the second semi final is from Adel. Host the Peel Thunderbirds across the Tasmanian State League Women's competition round 15 played on the weekend. Glenorchy 14-19-103 defeated Bernie one straight six. Clarence 4-4-28 went down to Launceston 5-8. 38. To round 16, both games on Sunday at 12pm. At Jolston Bay, Oval Clarence hosts the Tigers, while at Wyvernhoes Showgrounds, Bernie hosts Launceston Glenorchy with the bye. Time to find out what's happening at the Bond University QWAFL and joining us on the line, it's Aaron Russell. Aaron, how are you? Uh,
5: great, Peter. We have concluded another year of season fixtures and are into finals in quaffle uh, such an exciting time of the year. Great time of the year for footy up here. Uh, the weather is generally clear skies and uh, 22 degrees. <laughs> perfect for footy ball.
0: That is beautiful weather. And let's have a look at the results on that last round. And uh, Wilson Gray's just uh, stretching the legs before their finals campaign with a comfortable win over Yoronga South Brisbane, 11.672 to 4.428.
5: Yeah, season on the line for Yoronga. Uh, weren't able to get the the, the job done. Uh, Down for that game, and um, yeah, definitely got out of the blocks early. Did Yoronga kick the first two of the game, and it looked like we could have been in for a for a tight one. And they were they were doing all they could um, to to stay in touch after that. Uh, but uh, w- Wilson too strong, um, slowly kicking away. Got really got into. The, the, the swing of things in the second, third, um, and finished strong in the fourth as well. Um, and Yoronga are looking, looking, uh, looking very ominous for the rest of the competition. Kate Lutkins, uh, had an outstanding match, um, across the back line, um, with her, uh, comrade Shannon Campbell, uh, from the Lions, those two having a day out. Really like Courtney Daniek's game in the middle. Um, she was just really, Really good around the stoppages and clearance work. Um, quite clean. Delma um, kicking a couple of great crumbing goals, which they're going to need. Um, Mickey Campbell bobbing up with three. Good to have her back in the side, uh, playing centre half forward, and they sort of rotated her deep a little bit as well, and was able to take a lot of the workload on that um, that we've seen Peters do, who's their league, who's their go- leading goal kicker at the moment. So. Um, that was great to have her back in the side and just makes them a lot more dangerous. Sort of gives them those two keys up forward and then a bunch of crummers and fast pressure players around them where Delma was able to uh, to contribute three times on the scoreboard there. So, great effort from them. Um, good to see uh, Jordan Zanchetta running around in the midfield for them and she looked to be moving quite well. So, that's great news for her after coming back um, from such a serious injury. So, Great to see Zen Chatter out there and, and, and playing some good footy. Um, Emily Bliss, Bliss was really strong and battled all day, uh, keeping Peter's um, scores, in fact. Um, so she did a great job on her. Um, but uh, but Wilson too strong in the end. And unfortunately um, for Yoronga they're unable to defend their title. But um, Wilson uh, steamrolled on through into the semis.
0: A meeting between traditional rivals in the final round sees Cooperu uh, flex their muscles before the uh, finals and possibly send a warning shot to the rest of the competition. Sixteen eight one oh four over Coolangatta Tweed two seven nineteen.
5: Oh, you're not wrong, um, and everyone's looking for that next contender at the moment. And, you know, you've got to say uh, we've been talking about UQ a little bit and there's definitely been some memories of UQ, but I think Cooparoo maybe have just uh, snuck under the radar here, a bit of the limelight's push towards UQ as the next contender. And Cooparoo have just been going about their business and getting the jobs done week in, week out, pretty convincingly on this occasion too, um, holding Cooley Scoreless in the first, uh, Goalless in the second. Um and the job was pretty much wrapped up that at that point when they were leading by about forty points at half time. Jess Wushner got a nice bag of six goals. Uh Janae governed three, so yeah, they're looking they're looking very ominous as well. Um Roo, it's gonna gonna make for a very tantalising contest this first semi as they go through and I think they might um they might put him through a bit more of a show than the last time. So, but yeah, two convincing over Cooley, uh, but Cooley have still managed to maintain their spot in the finals, um, finishing fourth. Uh, but they're going to need, need to do a lot of improving um, if they're to they're to go anywhere in, in the finals this year. Um, but Cooperu they're looking really hot as well.
0: And in the final game of the home and away season, uh, the UQ Red Lions 14-7-91 accounted for Maroochydore 4 3
5: yeah, exactly. Uh, UQ have solidified their spot. They are playing finals in 2018, guys. So that's that's great news for them. They've come from a
2: absolute mile back.
5: Um, it's like like you're watching that horse race, and at the, the turn he's last, and he somehow finishes first. So that's that, that's uh, that's what UQ's done to make the finals. Um, and uh, they've their last few rounds have been quite impressive as well. Um, the fence has been solid, they've got some, some scoring power, uh, and they could challenge um, in the finals as well, which is what we've expected them to do some weeks back. So, um, Marucci to obviously bow out uh, this time around. Um, interesting one, few interesting goal kickers, though, I thought, for UQ on the weekend uh, that don't particularly score their goals too often. Um uh, but I think if you have a look there, uh, they were missing one key player in a Sabrina frederick Traw. So maybe just saving her for this first semi, I think, Peter. So you got to think they were without Sabrina um, in this round. Um, fit to play uh, next week. Um, but they're, they're in. They're there.
0: So let's have a look at those semifinals, all happening on Saturday, the 11th of August. Both games at... 4.45pm. We begin at Griffith University Campus Oval 2 and that is the UQ Red Lions taking on Coolingat at 4.45pm. Who wins, the Red Lions or the Bluebirds?
5: Third versus fourth. If you're going on form, you'd have to say that UQ uh, are going in um, favourites here and and, and probably probably almost significant ones. Um, These two sides met not all that long ago. Uh, in round 16. So two weeks ago they met. UQ convincing, very convincing win. 8-7-55 to Cooley. No goal. Uh, two behind. So that, that is a, a very significant win. they not, not score. So they've got a lot to turn around from that game. Um, I think the way that UQ have been travelling, um, Cooley just haven't been able to get their game going. Haven't been able to hit their straps. Um, they've still got some, some fantastic players who have got uh, some finals experience. So uh, definitely can't take them lightly, can you um But I think they're going in red-hot favourites here. Also got home-ground advantage. Cooley have got to check up the Brisbane. Um, I think they might be too strong for, for Cooley on this occasion. And they've just got everything going from them at the moment, you They've got the momentum. They've come from a long way back. Um, and if you think to the AFL two years ago, the Western Bulldogs uh, did a very similar thing um, in uh, finals, unfortunately, being the Sydney Swans, um, my my side, so it was a bit disappointing that year. But um, they've come from a long way back, and I think they've just got so much belief at the moment. They've got some star power, they've got some great young kids. So um, interesting to see what damage they do. I think they might be just too strong for Cooley on the weekend at home.
0: And finally, the major semi-final, 4:45 p.m. at Bendigo Bank Oval, Wilson Grange hosts Cooperoo.
5: Yeah, massive game. Um, these two sides have not played against each other since round eight. Now, this was half a season ago. These sides have not versed each other, where Wilson uh, come out 50-point winners in that match, which is yeah, that's a pretty significant victory. Um, but I think Kuperu have been trekking along ever so nicely since pretty much round eight. <laughs> so these two sides, I think, are expecting a, a bit of a different contest from that Round a match between the two. Um, Cooper, who uh, have Jess Wushner on fire. Um, Janae Govan has been scoring goals. Um, Tori Groves is now finding herself up forward and, and is quite dangerous up there, um, giving you a lot of pace around around that forward line. It, their forward line, actually, has got a few players who have got lots of different tricks up their sleeve and they've, they've got a lot of avenues to goal. So I'm really expecting this to be a, a tight contest uh, Cooper, who's back line, is absolutely ruthless. Um, they've got some solid, extremely experienced defenders down there, and they've been able to add some speed as well off half-back. Um, so I'm thinking this is going to be a lot tighter contest than last time, which is going to make for a great semi. Um, we could even be seeing a grand final replay in this very match. So it's going to get us a look at some of the players Um, Some of the star quality, some Lions girls running around, which is going to be great to see um, for all who come down, 4.45. Hard to pick. Don't want to call one here. Um, Let's just hope it's a great semi.
0: Well, Aaron, thanks very much for joining us here on Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. And we look forward to catching up with you next week when we look back at the QWAFL semifinals. Thank you, Peter. Time to take a quick look at what happened in the AFL Canberra. First grade women's competition on the weekend. Round 13, action. Balconan, 2016, 136. Defeated Tugranong, no score. Gangarland 2, 113. Went down to Eastlake 12-678. 9, 13, 67 Defeated Ainsley 128. Looking ahead to round 14 action. Friday night, 6.30pm at Kingston Oval, Eastlake host Belconnen. Saturday, 4pm at Allen Ray Oval, Ainsley host Tugranon, and at Allenshore Park, Sunday, 4pm, Gungarland host Quimbian. Now, for all the latest in the AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division, we've got on the line Lauren Hodgson. Lauren, how are you?
6: Yeah, really well, thanks, Peter. How about you? Not too bad at all. Finals fever
0: is almost there in Sydney. And we begin by looking back at Round 15 where the Southern Power eight six fifty four getting a vital win over the UTS Shamrocks one three nine.
6: Yeah, look, I mean, it's obviously, as you mentioned, a vital win for the Power. Um, you know, now sees them sit two games clear of Sydney Uni um, with two games to go, so it's going to be really interesting there. Um, look, they they got out of the blocks with a good start, um, holding Shamrocks scoreless in the first quarter and kicking two goals one themselves. Uh, And look, they held the Shamrock scoreless throughout the first three quarters. And, uh, look, Ree Lotta had a day out kicking six of Power's eight goals. And, uh, yeah, Power ended up with a 45 point win. And, um, yeah, look, definitely helps them. Still doesn't get them across the line quite yet for finals. But, um, yeah, they'd be really pleased with that performance, Peter.
0: UNSW Eastern Suburbs Bulldogs 3-17-35, defeating the Western Wolves two behinds. Was it blowing a gale there at Village Green?
6: Oh, I mean, look, even even if it was a bit windy, I think the Bulldogs would still be disappointed with um, with that scoring accuracy. You know, 20, 20 shots on goal to only be on uh, 35 points, even if it is a bit windy, is, is not the best. Um, and, yeah, but on the Wolf side of things, you know, to be held um, goalless in a game, which has happened a few times this year, is definitely not ideal. Uh, goalkeepers for the Bulldogs were, uh, yeah, Privatali, Keeley and uh, McGee. And, yeah, no goalkeepers for the Wolves. And, uh, yeah, Bulldogs remain in second on the ladder.
0: Looking to the third game of the round, the Newtown Breakaways 3-3-21 went down to the Auburn-Penrith Giants 7-12-54.
6: Yeah, look, I thought this one would have been a bit closer. Um, I think I may even have um tipped the breakaways to be a, a possible upset. But uh, look the, the Giants um, you know, played played well throughout the day. Um look it was a fairly even first quarter. Breakaways were actually up by one at quarter time. Um but the Giants managed to uh get a little bit of a break on them at, at half time and then were were never headed after that. Um Calderwood for the breakaways was a standout kicking their three goals, um, whilst for the Giants, uh, Gay with three, Brighton and East Hope with two each. So good form for the Giants heading into finals to um, get a decent win under their belt with uh, with a couple of weeks left now.
0: And the Sydney Uni Bombers, 5-2-32, going down in a thriller to Macquarie University, 5-3-33.
6: Yeah, thrill is definitely the way to describe it. Um, I think it was with only, oh look, eight or nine minutes left in the game. Um, the Warriors are actually down by, I think it was 14 points. So to, to come home strongly, um, and, and, you know, kick three goals, um, in the last, yeah, eight or nine minutes and ended up winning by points, a pretty special effort considering that, um, prior to that, they'd only kicked two goals themselves. Um, but I think, you know, we discussed this game a lot last week um you know it'd be a true test of whether Sydney Uni's form over the last month has, has been uh i suppose you know accurate or whether it's just a, a few lucky games but um given that they they really took it to Mac Uni and almost got away with the win um i think you can say the the bombers are definitely um definitely um in in good form and uh potentially you know if a few things go their way um could actually make the uh final four after uh, not starting the season uh all that greatly
0: so let's have a look at your tips for the penultimate round, round 16. We kick the dew off the grass at 8.40am on Saturday morning at Oval, where the Western Wolves host the UTS Shamrocks.
6: Yeah, it's definitely an early start. The Wolves have had a couple of early starts out at Um Look, I think this will be a good contest. Uh, should be competitive for both sides. Um, and I'm actually going to tip uh, the Shamrocks in this one.
0: 12.10pm Saturday at Trumper Park. The UNSW Eastern Suburbs Bulldogs play host of the Auburn Penrith Giants.
6: Yeah, look, this game should be another really good contest. Um, uh, Look, I think it'll be a close one, but uh, tipping the Bulldogs there.
0: Southern Power versus the Sydney Uni Bombers, 12.40pm at Waratah Oval on Saturday.
6: Yeah, look, we we discussed this game even last week. Um, This game has a massive, um, I suppose, massive ramifications for... For who makes the four, if Power um, managed to beat Sydney Uni for a third time this year, um, then it puts them, um, I think it would put them three games clear with with one round to go. So they'd be guaranteed a final four and uh, the Sydney Uni wouldn't. But if Sydney Uni win, then going into the last round, um, Power are only one game clear of of Sydney Uni. So it definitely has uh, massive ramifications for both of those sides. Tipping with my head in their recent form, whilst power have, um, have you know, been better the last few weeks, um, I'm going to tip Sydney Uni here um, by a couple of goals.
0: And Saturday, 4.50pm at Macquarie University, Mac Uni hosts the Newtown Breakaways.
6: Yeah, look, Uni obviously would have had a bit of a scare on the weekend against uh, the Bombers, um, but I don't think the Breakaways will uh, trouble them, and I think the Uni will have... Uh, a comfortable win there. Well,
0: Lauren, thanks very much for joining us again this week on Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival, and we look forward to catching up with you next week when we review Round 16 of the AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division.
6: Yeah, looking forward to it, Peter, and uh, we'll chat next week.
0: Across down to the Adelaide Footy League Women's Division 1 competition, the final round round 15 played on the weekend where Fitzroy 4 630 went down to Salisbury 12 13 85, Port Adelaide 1 behind defeated by Adelaide University 24 6 150 and Christie's Beach 2 5 17 were defeated by Morphettville Park 3 4 20, Looking to finals action this weekend in the Adelaide Footy League uh, Women's Division 1 And we've got on Saturday 7pm at Salisbury Oval Salisbury host Christies Beach in the first semi-final While on the second semi-final Sunday 3pm at Callant Reserve Morphville Park host Adelaide University Time to get all the latest now at the Swiss Wellness VFL Women's Competition And joining us on the line, our league caller here at RSN Carnival In Matthew Cox, Coxie how are you?
7: Very well, Pete. Another big round of Swiss Wellness VFLW action across the weekend. There were some big results that have certainly swayed why the top four is going to be defined as we enter the final phase of the home and away season.
0: Let's begin on Saturday morning with the Casey Demons, 5 7 defeated Carlton, 3 9
7: Bit of an upset. Uh, in my opinion this one I thought Carlton would get over the line I thought that the margin was accurate I just thought the teams were around the wrong way KC Demons have been in red hot form over the last uh, couple of weeks Uh, their Northern Territory game where they uh, came back against the impressive and it seems as though with this game they've done a similar thing Wynn did play a factor out at KC Fields on the weekend and not only from reading the match reports, but just looking at the scoreboard uh, in this game. Three three goals four in the opening term, Casey kicked to no score for Carlton. Carlton pegged it back to within two points by halftime. Casey in the uh, switch kicked a whole heap of goals when they were with the wind in the, in the third term and Carlton didn't impact the scoreboard. And then in the final term, the Blues kicked six behinds. To can't see no score. So it was inaccurate picking that cost the Blues at the end of the day. Uh, goal kickers in this game, uh, Eden Zanker kicked three goals, an impressive performance up forward. Smith and Shevlin were the elf goal kickers for the Demons. Blues, Vesio, as always, uh, amongst the goal kickers, as was Stewart and Georgia G. Just an interesting statistic to come out of the game uh, in this one. Marks 40 to 25 in favor of the Casey Demons. Uh, obviously, controlling the ball and, and possessing it, but not overusing it. Uh, the disposals uh, suggest that it was uh, 12 uh, higher in favor of the Blues, 179 to 167. So, Casey using a, a lot more efficiently uh, in the match on the weekend. And uh, the player statistics also reinforce that point with Georgia G. She racked up 21 touches on the weekend and laid eight tackles. Gab Pound racked up 20 touches on the weekend as well. The two leading disposal getters on the ground in favour of the Blues. The uh, highest disposal getter on the ground for the case, Demons, was Hall with 18. So to
0: Avalon Airport Oval in Werribee, where the Thunder keeps rolling on eleven five seventy one, accounting for a respectable Williamstown four two twenty six.
7: Yeah, as you said, a respectable performance. Uh, most of their score, Williamstown, coming in the second term, so we're putting a, a good score on the park. But apart from that, it was as expected. The Northern Territory Thunder continued to uh, get big victories and record big victories. They've got a very Preview very shortly, but um, they're they're firing on all all cylinders at the moment. Goal kickers in this game: Hatchard kicked four, Thorne kicked two, Bevan Roberts, Hickey, Sidundri, and Swanson were the other goal kickers on the weekend. There's always a dispersed list of goal kickers for the Northern Territory Thunder. They've got plenty of options where they can impact scoreboard, and that's Week-in, week-out occurrence. The Williamstown Footy Club, uh, Harris, Duffin, Chapman and Whiting were the goal kickers on the weekend. Disposal getters uh, in game. Uh, familiar, or familiar names up the top of the sheet with uh, Emma Swanson racking up 27 touches on the weekend. Jenna Bruton uh, up 22 and last 12 tackles. A monumental effort there from Jenna Bruton. So Dundry for Northern Territory Thunder also racked up 21 touches. Jess Duffin continues her blistering season for the styles racking up 50 touches. And I'd be putting my money on Duffin to win the Williamstown Best and Fairest. She's week in, week out, been contributing, racking up possessions of the ball by far when uh, I've had the chance of watching Williamstown being the best user with the footy and also impacting the scoreboard. So an impressive season for Jess Duffin as she prepares to enter the Kangaroos program, the 2019 AFLW.
0: For the second week in a row, Geelong racking up another big score, 10-7-67, easily accounting for Richmond 1-2-8.
7: Yeah, not good for the Tigers. Another disappointing performance for them as we've spoken about over the course of the last week or so. Uh, it just seems as though fatigue is starting to set in for this young group, young developing group. They're playing a very good football early on, um, high-pressure football, and it just seems that they haven't been able to sustain that in the final phase of the 2018 season, which is... Disappointing, but we also know that they're heading towards bigger and better things over the next couple of years with their own AFLW program. Geelong needed to make a statement in this game to lock or attempt to lock down their top four spot, and they did what they started with. Six scoring shots to zero in the opening term. Three goals, three long kicking, Uh, and then the the biggest damage was done in the third quarter, where they they kicked six goals, one incredibly accurate for the Geelong Cats, and they're leading. Goal kickers on the ground. There's a few uh, familiar names on this list. Mia Ray Clifford kicked four goals. She's had a very impressive season for the Cats, even when they went through that. Little bit of a, a down phase, or where they weren't winning uh, games or just winning uh, very close games. Mia uh, Ray Clifford has been one of their best performers. Matty Boyd kicked two goals, Kate Darby or Cranston and Mangan, the other goal kickers, whilst Jess Gardner was the only goal kicker for Richmond on the weekend. The disposal getters in this game, Ivy racked up 23 touches. Uh, Blakeway racked up 20. The leading disposal getter on the ground for Richmond was Graham with 18.
0: Darabin versus Hawthorne was our match of the day on Saturday. It was a thriller and in the end the Falcons victorious 4-5-29 over the Hawks
7: 3-7-25. A real arm wrestle until Darabin got their skates on in the final term and put a few goals away early in the piece. Uh, Hawthorne continued to persist, they tried, but it was just a little bit unstructured. I think we made reference throughout the broadcast that there was a lot of high-hoping kicks. They weren't lowering their vision and trying to navigate their way forward, which is uh, curious considering Phoebe McWilliams was back in the side alongside Sarah Perkins on the weekend. So the fact that they weren't Uh, Looking for those options, presenting and just hoping to uh, hit up a target with those long kicks inside 50 didn't really work for the Hawks. Maybe the loss that they had to have, um, their performances over the last month or so of just either been getting them over the line, although Paddy Hill alluded that their performance against the Southern Saints the week prior to this one was one of their best for the season where they ran out strongly. Uh, unfortunately, on the weekend, it wasn't the case. for Darabin Falcons, they did incredibly well. Uh, they held on to uh, Hawthorne early on. They ensured that they didn't get away. They didn't get a goal in the opening turn, but worked their way into the game. Uh, the first time that I think the, the bottom six, which I've always queried with the Falcons since the AFLW has come in and their players being managed or no longer with them, for the first time, I think they were accountable on the weekend. They played their role better than what uh, potentially the, the Hawthorne from five or six players did. So uh, an impressive performance for Darabin. The question for them, though, is can they sustain it for the next couple of weeks to make themselves uh, or give themselves the opportunity to make the top four um, Jarvis, uh, the 23rd player for Darabin on the weekend, kicked a goal Elise the least a day. Kate Shearlaw and Maddie Giran, the goal kickers. Whilst for Hawthorne, it was Rebecca Leeson, Tara Luke and Rosie Dillon, the goal kickers on the weekend for them. The leading disposal getter on the ground, but no surprise. The least a day fits for the list with 26 disposals of the weekend, 8 marks, 2 tackles. Whilst Van Dyke continued her impressive season for Hawthorne, uh, racking 20 touches, collecting six marks, and laying four tackles. A match of
0: the day on Sunday was between the Western Bulldogs and Southern Saints in Henry Turner Memorial Reserve, and this was the boil over of the round. The Saints, 6'4", 40, easily accounting for the Western Bulldogs, one three nine.
7: And the biggest thing in that sentence you just said was the Southern Saints easily accounting for the Western Bulldogs, which is a Certain surprise, the Bulldogs on their spiritual home deck, Henry Turner Memorial Reserve, of course, being the home of the VU Western Spurs, which the Bulldogs are heavily aligned to. They kicked the goal in the opening term and then managed to get a further three behind for the remainder of the day, where the Southern Saints just powered on, uh, kicking uh, what was that, four goals up until half-time then. Adding to that uh, afterwards with a uh, further two, both Hannah kicks three on the weekend. eight Silver, Munn uh, amongst the goal kickers for the Southern Saints. He was the only goal kicker for the Western Bulldogs. Leading to Spose, right, the getter on the ground was uh, Brown with 28 touches, laid seven tackles as well. Whilst Get wrapped up 24 touches and nine tackles. Looking down the list, I know Hannah Scott made her return to the side, uh, the Western Bulldogs, or made her Western Bulldogs, the AFLW on the weekend with, I believe, Spark. Beyond that, not many AFLW-listed players were a part of the Bulldogs side on the weekend, so I'm assuming that taking a bit of talent out of that Western Bulldogs side has cost them not only the victory on the weekend, but potentially a top-four spot. And I think for the Western
0: Bulldogs who saw a photo on Instagram, I think it was Elise Gamble with their um, arm in a sling as well.
7: Not not a great result for them uh, on the weekend.
0: Final game of the round was Essendon versus Collingwood out at Rams Arena in Craigieburn. The Bombers 3-5-23 going down to the topside. Magpies
7: 6-13-49. And as expected, uh, Collingwood's getting a good result. Not as big of a margin as they could have had, considering they kicked six goals, 13 on the weekend. Uh, Wind would have been playing Havoc at Craigburn uh, on the weekend, uh, given it was a windy day on Sunday. Uh, The Bombers did well to make the scoreboard respectable in the final term. They were also inaccurate, though, and perhaps it was Collingwood taking their foot off the throttle. Uh, nice to see Steph Chiocci at the top of the goal kicking list for the Magpies. She kicked two goals, has uh, played a couple of games now in VFLW, just getting her hands back on the footy in preparation for another AFLW season. Bateman kicked one, Edwards were the other goal kickers, whilst for the Bombers, Tanya Hetherington uh, hit the scoreboard on the weekend with a major. Matteo kicked one, and Meliaris was the other goal kicker. The leading disposal getter on the ground was Ross with 18 for Collingwood and Collier with 17 touches. So not great uh, disposal uh, racking up. Uh, that completely the wrong way around um, on the weekend. So it was a fairly even performance by the looks of things for both sides, which is positive signs.
0: And Hetherington's goal for the Bombers, by the way, was from the boundary line as well. So, uh, And that was shown on the VFL website as Vision, so that clearly has to be a fine for the social fund from one <laughs> defender, Tanya Hetherington.
7: I was going to say, is that double points considering uh, she should be at
0: the other end of the ground? Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Melbourne uni <laughs> having- Tanya. Yeah. Melbourne Uni having yeah. the bye there in round 13. So we go to round 14, third last round of the season. Let's get our previews in. First of all, Coxie, Casey Fields, Saturday morning, 11.30am, the Casey Demons versus
7: Melbourne Uni. Casey in red-hot form at the moment. Hard to tip against them. Melbourne University are also uh, we're in pretty good form heading into the bye. They were just lapsing in games, which was costing them and uh, the, the structure letting them down a little bit. Heard from Scott Gowans a couple of weeks ago that they're gradually going to be bringing more AFLW experience into this mugger lineup. So Whilst it's tempting to go for Melbourne Uni, I'm going to have to go for the Casey Demons that have just been too strong recent weeks.
0: Saturday, 12pm at Bill Laurie Oval, Darabin versus the Southern Saints. And if I'm correct, I think it's the first time they've met this year. So this would be the first time... Peter Searles coached against the club. She coached five premiership flags in a row with.
7: Yeah, just a a little bit of interest in this game. And it'll also uh, be interesting to see whether Lauren Arnell runs out. I believe she had an injury on uh, the weekend just gone. So whether she's over that in time uh, for this match remains to be seen. Um it just adds a little bit of spice to this game. The Southern Saints will be buoyed with confidence coming off their victory against the Western Bulldogs can another side out of finals contention in two thousand and eighteen being Daravan who really needs to keep winning games to ensure that they get a spot or give themselves the best opportunity to get the top four. I played on the weekend I think they can win given that they're to oval.
0: let's focus Saturday Victoria Park 12 pm bounce we're on air from 11 a.m on the radio on RSN carnival and via the VFL video stream from 5 minutes to 12 it's the top two the first place Collingwood hosting the second place NT Thunder at Victoria Park.
7: And this is going to give us an accurate indication of where these two sides sit, considering Collingwood faced the Northern Territory up in Darwin uh, in the middle of the year when the the Thunder had those best management issues that they were dealing with. So they're not compromised heading into this game, apart from being uh, likely cold, wet and windy, uh, which might hamper them, but uh, Collingwood. They'd be primed for this one, their home deck at the park, to be looking to score a victory against the Northern Territory Thunder. And given it's their home deck, and given I've been really impressed with the way the Magpies have performed in the VFLW, I'm going to tip
0: them. And I can say that the weather forecast at this moment, as uh, we record this interview, shows that the day before... Which this day the NT Thunderland. It will be fine and sunny at a top of twenty in Melbourne. On match day, a prediction of thirteen and rain.
7: <laughs> it's just good, old, good old Melbourne. Uh, don't like the weather. Wait, wait a couple of hours, it'll change.
0: Saturday, four thirty PM, a twilight game at GMHBA Stadium, otherwise known as Cadenia Park, where the Cats host Essendon.
7: Unfortunately, I can't see the Bombers being up in this one. I think Geelong will get another nice percentage booster uh, against them. Uh, Bombers are just too young or inexperienced. Uh, They're developing. They're getting better. They're looking better on the scoreboard. But I think Geelong have finally hit top gear. It's taken them a while, but they seem to have gelled at the right time of year. Looking that top side that they were early on, um, I'm tipping them. Sunday,
0: 12pm at the Swinburne Centre, otherwise known as Punt Road Oval, Richmond versus Williamstown.
7: Curious, Gun. Um I'm going to go with Williamstown. I think they've been uh, more competitive when it comes to school board activity over the recent weeks and Richmond's uh, performance, certainly at Princess Park, uh, when we called them a couple of weeks ago and then on, again on the weekend down in Geelong, Uh, They just don't seem to to have that goal-kicking power anymore. And whether that's because there's a lack of delivery coming in or whether they're just being uh, restrained by the opposition, uh, I'm I'm unsure. But uh, I I just think Williamstown have been performing that little bit better and should be able to rack up another win for them on the weekend.
0: And Sunday, 2pm bounce down. We're on air at 1pm on RSN Carnival Digital Radio At Box Hill City Oval, Hawthorne versus the Western Bulldogs, a chance for the Hawks to uh, solidify a spot in the top four, the last chance saloon for the Doggies.
7: Yeah, last roll of the dice. And given their performance on the weekend, uh, we'll have to wait to see what the team that they're going to put out looks like on the weekend for this game. I think if it's the same side that runs out, uh, that ran out against the Southern Saints, I Unfortunately, don't see them getting over the line. But if they can bring back a couple of their AFLW stars like Brooke Lachlan and Ellie Blackburn into this game, then they potentially have a better chance of getting over Hawthorne, who will be a little bit bruised after their defeat on the weekend against uh, Darabin. Uh, They'll be looking to rectify that. They're back on their home deck at Box Hill City Oval. Um... But but whether they can shake off this just getting out of the line uh, business that they've had for most part of the, the season, uh, I'm, I'm not sure of. But so I'm going to hold fire on my judgment with this game, Pete. I think it's too close to Cole considering the, the implications because I feel if Western Bulldogs win, they, they set themselves up to uh, try and get into the top four. If Hawthorne lose, then they're in big trouble. Just
0: for the record, in the last two games after this, Hawthorne play the NT Thunder up in Darwin and then the Geelong Cats at Box Hill City Oval. So if Hawthorne lose, they're in a dangerous situation.
1: Yeah,
7: they they certainly are. And the, the loss on the weekend might come back to haunt them.
0: Well, Coxie, thanks very much for joining us here on Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival Digital Radio. We look forward to your company this weekend with the two big games, first versus second, Collingwood and the NT Thunder, and then Hawthorne versus the Doggies on the Sunday.
7: Two massive games that will help define the 2018 season. Looking forward uh,
0: to being there and, and calling it. And that wraps things up for yet another week. I'm Peter Holden. Thanks very much for your company. Look forward to joining you again on RSN Carnival next Wednesday night from 6pm for another edition of Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. And don't forget, you can hear our podcast on Thursday afternoons by going to SoundCloud, Google Podcasts and Apple Podcasts simply for searching for Women's Australian Rules Football Radio. Until then, bye for now.